I got up in the morning and I called my boss and I said, I can't come in. I think I'm burning out. And it turned into three days off, then three weeks, and then I asked for a year off. And that's kind of where it all started, really. Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and today we're talking all about burnout. I actually did an online poll asking you, the Are You Mental audience, what you wanted this episode to be on, and the winner by far was burnout. Which is not that surprising really, considering we live in a culture that values productivity and success above almost everything else. I think you're really going to enjoy who I got to talk to this week, and you'll be glad to hear that Nettie is back to give us the lowdown from a psychology point of view. So, let's do this. This is Olivia. I love photography. I love the, the different view you get through a camera versus seeing things with the naked eye and how you can change that view. She's had a pretty intense journey with burnout that started five years ago. I was in a really great job. I worked in the finance and the commercial banking field. And so I helped run a portfolio. It was great. It was high energy, really great team, really great boss. And then we started to become one of the top teams in the country within the commercial banking sector. Mm. The demand, I think, on that, it was quite consistent. So performing high and putting the good deals out and it was at times stressful. But the consistency, the workload was high for a very extended period of time. So a good 18 months to two years. And Long hours? Long hours for me. Not that anyone demanded it of me, but I loved working, so I just put the hours in and I wanted to get things across the line. And to also maintain the top five status, you, there is an expectation, I guess maybe an unspoken expectation, you just keep going, mm. just keep bringing in the deals. So there was a lot of aspects I really enjoyed about it. I liked the pressure, I loved the clients, I loved the interaction, and I, and I just put so much into it. What I didn't recognize looking back now is that I was over-investing. So there was a point where I could have just drawn the line and I didn't didn't have those boundaries because I wanted to do well. When you say over-investing, I get a sense that you're not just talking about putting too much time and effort in. No, it was it was the emotional investment to I want to do well, we've got to keep it at the top. I want to progress my career, I want to move up the ladder. So an emotional investment, but also recognising that I was getting to a point where I wasn't being challenged, I wasn't learning anything new, it was just a consistent workload mm. of doing the same thing over and over again. And I didn't recognize that actually I was a bit bored. Mm. And to have a high workload and be bored is actually qu- quite stressful. Tell and me more about that. S- so I, I recognize now, but not at the time, that when you expel a lot of energy, but you're getting nothing in return, it's it drains you more. And boredom is not something that feeds you. So I could have been happy keeping a really high workload and investing a lot of time and effort if at the same time I was learning something new and being challenged and excited because that's what would have given me the energy in return. It's not so much the time that you put into something. Someone can work 20 hours a week and be bored and really burn out from it versus someone who can work 80 hours a week love it, get all the energy that they need from it, and never burn out. And looking back now, I just, I hit a boredom wall and I couldn't recognize it, I didn't recognize it, and I also never spoke up. And then personally, I was in a relationship where I was also over-investing. So there was a lot of me over-investing out of probably a level of fear that if I didn't, then maybe this relationship would end. So there was a whole lot of emotional investment into something that... I also didn't step back and go, am I getting what I need out of this because I'm constantly giving out. So this romantic relationship was yeah. was was another area of your life where you were outputting but not kind of getting enough back. Not getting enough back. Yeah, I was getting some back but not enough and also not recognizing my needs weren't being met. So I was constantly anticipating the needs of someone else, thinking this is what I think they need and giving that out and then not stepping back and going, okay, well, what is this giving me? 
So that was l- what led me up to burnout. Um, and so how was that all affecting you on a day-to-day level? I was exhausted. I was physically shattered. I was falling asleep at work on a Friday. I was... I'd like what, falling week. asleep at work? Like Fridays would come and I'd just sit there like a zombie and if I closed my eyes, I knew I'd pass out. Like it got to that point where I wasn't eating properly because I had so much adrenaline and I think cortisol running through me just to keep me going that I'd lost a lot of weight um, and which for me was significant because I wasn't, I didn't weigh a lot anyway. Mm. Um, I just got really really tired I'd sleep most of the weekends I'd be emotionally exhausted I'd cry a lot I wouldn't know why I just I'd stopped engaging with my family I just needed to be on my own and then anxiety started to kick in and I didn't know why my body started to take me by surprise I would suddenly get super nauseous in certain situations Mm. and yeah, it was just like this intense level of anxiety that would come and kind of hit me from behind. Mm. I couldn't figure it out. And I thought I had a bug. I thought, no, I'm just probably low. I just need a rest. I remember one day I went to visit a client on my own. He was one of our struggling clients. And so it was a hard conversation I had to have with him anyway. And I remember sitting in the meeting and all I could think of was, I feel so nauseous, I need to get outside and um, breathe, I need some air. And I was trying to be engaged with him, but half the time I zoned out, didn't hear what he was saying, and I just thought, I've got to get out of this meeting. Emotionally, I just couldn't handle it. I think a few days after that, I called my boss and I burst into tears and I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I thought, yep, it would be a short-term fix, have a few weeks off, sleep it through, and I'll be a-okay. Mm. I thought, three months, I'll be done. Back to where I was. Yeah. And the more I got into it, I actually declined further after that for a few months. Was it kind of like you gave your body a chance to rest a bit? Yeah. And it was like, all right, we need a lot more yeah. of this. Yeah, it was. It's kind of like, you know when you release and then everything comes to the surface. Yeah. And then you go, oh crap, this is way worse than I thought it was. That's what I, I gave myself permission. And it was the first time in a very long time I actually gave myself permission to just let everything that was just fall where it may and then I'll pick up the pieces from there. Olivia shares more of her journey soon, but before she does, let's check in with Nettie, our psychologist, about what burnout actually is. It's a state of emotional, predominantly emotional, but also mental and often physical exhaustion that's brought on by ongoing, prolonged or repeated stress. Mm. So the key being that it's, it's not a momentary time of exhaustion, or stress, but it's something that's happened over a prolonged period of time. So is it kind of what the name suggests? Like you've got this fuel and you've 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 used it all up, you've you've burnt up all your kind of fuel and you've got nothing left and you kind of shut down, is that Yes, and there's more to it than that I think as well. It's more like if I think about the analogy of a car, the fuel's run out but neither has the engine been serviced. What, we're five minutes in and we get a good analogy? <laughs> there you go. I That's love, a treat. I love analogies, as you well know. So the fuel's run out, but also the engine hasn't been serviced. So you haven't been giving yourself the necessary care. That's exactly right, yeah. So not only am I not topping up my fuel, but I'm not taking care of my engine. And that's a different thing. And what's the engine in this analogy? Oh, the engine is my whole being. I guess it's that, that could get quite almost metaphysical it quite could. quickly. Well, it is what drives you then, isn't it? It is what's under the bonnet that propels you forward. I mean, it's, it's, about, a whole, it's about the whole being because we can function quite well on three cylinders, four cylinders. I don't actually know how many <laughs> cylinders I'm supposed to be thinking about. Usually four, but... Yeah, you, okay, so we can function adequately. We can get by on a partially functioning engine, but... We're not humming. 
So it's not simply about having too much output, like doing too much stuff. It, it can be an element of simply overload. There is too much on your plate and you literally can't get through it. But there's also things about whether I'm getting the recognition and the satisfaction or the acknowledgement for the effort that I'm putting in. Mm. It's quite demoralizing when you put a whole lot of effort into something and for one reason or another, it's not satisfying. You don't get either the feedback and the acknowledgement or the recognition from other people, or you don't get the, the sense of satisfaction yourself about having done a good job or meeting the requirements or the needs. And those might be the requirements or the needs of other people, but they also might be your own expectations, the demands and ideals that you have for yourself. So there's obviously a lesson here for like business owners and managers that uh, you need to appreciate the people who work Absolutely. for you. You need to, they need to be fulfilled and satisfied. They need to be recognized and yes. know, know that they're valued. Yes. And they need to be able to feel like what they are required to achieve is achievable. Mm. It's quite discouraging if you feel like the task that is in front of you is not realistic, not possible. I think there's a bit more to it than just that too, because I think it's about there not being adequate recovery and rest. When we use up a lot of energy, when we're working really hard, whether it be emotionally or physically or psychologically, th there's, there's this heightened intensity that we experience in our whole being. Mm. And that involves a whole lot of physiological, neurobiological stuff going on. And that impacts on our health and our well-being and our digestion and immunity and cardiovascular system. And that's all fine as long as we get to come back down to that state of homeostasis. Homeostasis. <laughs> rest? Is, it, is rest. that rest? Okay. Absolutely. Coming okay. back down to that state of rest where all of those systems recalibrate and reset mm. and we find equilibrium again. But rest is boring. Rest is fabulous. Rest is really important. Yeah. I mean, I'm being facetious there, but I think that's possibly one thing that can contribute to burnout is that I, I, I can relate to this idea that it's fun to work hard, it's fun yes. to do an exciting project and you go, 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 yeah. you know, I'm the, guy, I'm the guy doing all the stuff. Yeah, it can be and, quite addictive, can't it? It's addictive. Yeah, yeah. And, and rest can seem boring in comparison. That's exactly right. And we can be quite, we can be quite seduced by that and we also get quite used to that level of intense stimulation that yes rest can seem quite dull and boring in comparison but that's exactly what we need we need dull and boring and to find stillness for the system to settle and reset and what what happens you know what's so important about rest if we don't rest we end up um, in that chronic state of agitation mm. where the that prolonged impact on the nervous system takes its toll mm. and it takes its toll in very real ways physical emotional and psychological ways mm. so to use your previous car analogy essentially rest is the only way to care for the engine yeah the engine needs to be rested mm. it needs to be serviced it needs to be replenished but you don't do an oil change while the engine's running. Mm. You stop, you pull over, let the engine cool down. Mm. And we know this deep down, we don't we? We know this, we like, absolutely do. It's, yeah. why, why, if we know this, don't we do it enough? I don't think we get given permission a lot of the time. We're not a community or a society that applauds stillness. Mm. We tend to give trophies to people who are busy. Mm. We find it hard to say when somebody says, how are you? We find it hard to say, I haven't been doing much. Oh, not much, just relaxing. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> like you don't, you just don't say it. And the badge of honor seems to be, I've been really busy. Mm. I've been flat out. 
And if I'm not really busy and I'm not flat out, then what's wrong with me? I'm not doing enough. I'm not delivering enough. I'm not performing enough. Mm. And that becomes a real trap. Mm. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit. And I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words Are You Mental? That's gofundme.com and search Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. Is it just work that causes burnout? No. Burnout is talked about largely as a workplace thing, but we work in lots of ways that we don't get paid for. We work at relationships. We work at household management. We work at child rearing. We work at volunteering in our communities. We give a lot um, and we feel a lot of pressure in all sorts of areas of our lives. So all of those areas can contribute to burnout. If you're anything like me, you could listen to Nettie explain this stuff all day long. But let's get back to Olivia, who's just been totally flattened by burnout and is wondering what to do next. I moved up to Mangafai with my folks and I just took it from there. I couldn't even see some of my family for months because any social interaction required a level of energy from me and I had no energy. So I had to just focus on getting fed, getting stuff that would give me energy and that was rest and having no responsibility in terms of work. Um, I would sleep for hours every day, I'd watch movies, I'd go for a walk on my own. So it was a lot of time spending on my own because I could manage that. And then I had to build up resilience and capacity to interact with other people. Wow. Mm. What's it like, you know, you hit that point of burnout, you asked for a few days off that ended up turning into a year off. Mm. What's it like watching the things in your life that were important to you just crumble? It's heartbreaking because you think... I was such on the trajectory. I came back from England. I'd been traveling. I was so confident. I knew what I wanted. I was working towards it. I was good at what I did. I had this idea that I want to get married and I want to have kids. And all of that just went. It just, it kind of like the foundation beneath me just crumbled. And it was, it was heartbreaking. There was a, this huge amount of shame that came with it because I was like, how did I get here? What is it that got me to this point? Like I really had to face it. There was no option but to look at myself and go, what got you here? And you have to look at the parts of you you don't like and the parts of you that... You, I felt so exposed, like unbelievably exposed. And, and I thought, well, who am I now? Like... What is it? I, I'm starting from scratch. It felt like I was starting from ground zero again. I think there's still a level of shame that I carry with it, not because I look at anyone else that's gone through something. I don't feel shame for them. But for me, I was just like, what happened? How did you not see this coming? My parents always struggled financially. From a kid, all I remember is being poor and I vowed and declared that I would not be poor. This is Keith, and he's a self-confessed workaholic. In fact, he has been for four decades. And when I chatted to him, he definitely came across as a guy who has kept himself overstimulated for a very long time. He's one of the owners of the business he works at, and his crazy hours have led him to burn out two or three times in his life. He started fulfilling his childhood vow not to be poor when he was just 12 years old, doing five paper rounds and mowing old people's lawns. Then in his teens, he could finally enter the workforce proper. I started back around 1980-odd as a New Zealand post office technician. And as a trainee, I didn't earn much money. So I worked eight hours a day. If there was overtime on Saturday, I worked a Saturday overtime. And then three, four days a week, I would leave my day job, I would go drive up to Otara, and I'd work at McDonald's from 4.35 o'clock right through till close. Friday nights, I don't think the shop closed until one, so we'd be there till at least two o'clock cleaning up. 
and Saturday night was the same thing. And I'd quite often do the Sunday nights as well, which was an earlier finish, and then go back to work on Monday. So it was pretty much a 70, 80 hour week every week. And there's no time to rest. So you're not actually going and doing anything that's relaxing. All those things that you're supposedly doing the work for, when you get maybe an hour or two, there's nothing there. The brain's spent so much on all those other activities, you can't enjoy it. I got to the end of that two-year period, I went away with my parents, and because I couldn't work, the body just goes, oh, great, you're finally going to give me an opportunity to recover, and it just hit me like a brick. It just went bang, and it just shut everything down. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I just sat there and just looked at the sea all day long. I'd just given so much, I just couldn't interact with anybody. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just vegetated. After that first burnout, when some energy returned, Keith went straight back to work and straight back to his crazy hours. In fact, he continued the cycle of intense work and burnout for the next 35 years. Just two or three years ago, my pressures at work were through the roof. I was working ridiculous hours, again starting at 7 in the morning. I'd be at work until 5 or 6 at night. I'd come home and I've got an office at home and I'd be working in my office from like 6, 6.30 right through till 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. I'd go to bed, get up in the morning, repeat and that was every day. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. People around me were noticing it. I was becoming more and more angry with not just work, but with everything that was around me, life. Small things would trigger me off. Driving down the road, road rage. Mm. Someone does something really simple and it would really send me off the deep end. I wouldn't do anything stupid because I'm not a physically violent person but I felt the rage. I was getting to a breaking point and I had a masses of leave. Like I had about five months worth of leave built up that I hadn't taken. Mm. And I just said to the bosses, I need a holiday. I'm stopping at Christmas time. I'm taking the rest of December off, January and February. And I'm probably gonna come back in March at the moment, but I'll see how I feel. And they didn't like it at first. I said, I just have to do this. Either that or you, I'm going to be in a hospital bed. I took time off and I did absolutely nothing for that whole couple of two months. I went away on my boat. I would go into a bay. I would sit there, pull a deck chair out and just watch the water around me. Do nothing. I was just so dead. And it was only in the last week or two of that three-month period that I started to feel like I wanted to do something, mm. that I wanted to interact with people again, that I wanted to become back and be a normal person again. It was literally only the last couple of weeks. I could have had another month or two off, and I should have. So after the three months off, you went back to work? I went back to work, and I told myself I was going to cut back. I wasn't going to be in that, that regime of working the 12, 14 hour days. By the time I got to the end of the first month, the pressure was all back on again and I just fall back into the same routine, mm. the same mentality. And the small amount of gain that you got from that shutdown period, it's lost. It's just gone. And that issue of the burnout it just starts building again. Mm. It just, again, just keeps rising up and up and up and up until it gets to a break point. During our chat, Keith mentioned quite a few times that he was always striving to have enough. So I asked him what that means to him. It means being self-sufficient, living in a comfortable home, having enough, I guess, assets, if you want to call them that, to enjoy yourself. And do you have that stuff now? I have that stuff now. I've probably actually had enough most of my life. 
So you've kind of reached that level of success. But then I keep setting the target, I keep pushing that target out a bit further. One thing that really strikes me is that your situation feels like it has a huge similarity to addiction and even like an addiction to a substance. Like you've, you've talked about it being almost like a disease. You know, it feels like we're talking about an addiction. I think it is. And you get into that routine that goes, gee, I've got, I've got an hour or two spare. Maybe I could work some more. And that's all you do. I suppose it is addictive. You get into such a routine of sleep, work, eat, work, sleep. And it just is a repeat function. And you actually forget how to have fun. You actually don't know how to have fun. I'm in that position right now. I don't know how to have fun. I mean, I'm currently single, have been for four or five years. And I just haven't been able to sustain any relationships for any longer than a number of years. I've been married before, that failed. And do you, do you think your intense working habits contributed to the failure of that marriage? Definitely. Hmm. So what's it like for you looking back on those years and knowing that for all that time you did place more importance on work than relationships? I guess if I'm honest, I'd probably say I, I wish I hadn't, but I don't know how I could have changed it. I mean, that's, it's, it is like a disease and it destroys what you want to do personally. It destroys relationships. I probably, I, I guess if I'm totally brutally honest, yeah, I wish I had a change. I wish I had some way I could have changed it. We'll come back to Keith in a minute, but one of the main questions I had for Nettie is how can we avoid burnout? A big part of preventing burnout is recognising stress and recognising the need for a rest Mm. and finding useful and realistic ways of achieving that. I think rest is really important and it's not lazy. It's not lazy to need a rest, and that's the narrative that sometimes needs to be challenged. What about just two, you know, two weeks a year, once in summer and once in winter? Is that enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I actually talk with people about this so much because we need daily practices to maintain the engine. We need to have a, a point of being able to stop thinking about work, to be able to engage in other activities that do refuel the engine. And what kind of things are they? They're different things for different people, but socialising can be a thing. Reading a book that has nothing to do with work, watching some TV that is enjoyable, stimulating and engaging, that allows you to think about something else. Having a bath or going for a run I know for me the challenge is in between um, appointments I can sometimes feel the pressure to respond to a message that I've had but what I might need to do instead of doing that it might be that I just need to stretch or I might need just to walk outside for a minute and or just watch a bird or watch a bird or smell a bird I'm, I'm curious to know, does, does burnout happen suddenly? No, burnout, there are stages of burnout. It's, and because burnout is, is a result of a prolonged experience of stress, you can imagine how burnout then develops over a period of time. So you can imagine you get a new job, it's all really exciting, and if you're the kind of person that throws yourself in 150%, you mm. throw yourself in 150%. And 50%. And to start with, there's quite a lot of optimism and mm. enthusiasm, and it's quite exciting. Then what happens is it starts getting a little bit harder, but it's not yet at the point where it's impacting on other areas of your life. But eventually it might get to that where it starts spilling over into other areas of your life, and you're not able to give the kind of time and attention to your family or your friends or yourself that you might have done previously. So that level of 
stress and strain starts overflowing and impacting on your sleep and your energy levels more generally. So you move from stress into a more chronic state of stress, which then moves into that state of burnout. Mm. Makes me wonder whether burnout is your body going, well, if you're not going to take care of me, I'm just going to shut some things down because we need some input. Yeah. Our bodies are quite wise sometimes. Our bodies sometimes wiser than our consciousness. Mm. So our bodies can be giving us messages that we might not be consciously aware of. Isn't it crazy that we can override that? That our, our will to do and go and be yeah. can actually undermine our need to just be well. Yes, that's right. So the pressure that we experience to keep on going, to keep on achieving, to keep on pushing can be really powerful. You work, you don't do anything for yourself, you don't have fun. You work, you work, you work. Stress of the job, that stress builds up. You're not getting rest. You're not getting sleep. Your diet suffers because you're too busy to actually cook a good meal for you. So you have quick food, easy food, which affects you physically. You don't get exercise, which is bad for you because you put weight on and exercise is a good way of releasing tension and stress and lots of other things that are, it's good for you. You shun your friends. You shun any relationships, family. When you go into that shutdown mode, you become an even more antisocial person because you do not want to talk to anyone. You do not communicate. You don't interact with people. It's all things that add into that spiral. Mm. You put work pressure on there, it pushes that spiral even harder. No sleep because you're too stressed. No fun. It just keeps pushing you down and down and down. If you allow it to carry on in that spiral, you go into a place that you can't see any way out. Mm. I think if I hadn't have taken that three months off, I think I would have ended up in a hospital. Mm. Um, I'm getting a bit emotional at this moment. Sorry. I, I think I could have actually, I could, I could easily at that time, and I'm thinking back to it, I could easily see how people take their own lives. I really can. I had actually contemplated, I could just think, and there was a number of times when I was driving down the motorway and I'm just sitting there thinking, the day felt so bad and the world was closing in around me, I could have just driven into a barrier, driven into something and just, and just gone. I was right on, on real, real tender glass at the time. Obviously, this is not where Keith's story ends, and we'll hear how he got out of that dark place in a moment. But before we do, I was really curious to explore with Nettie the root cause of burnout, whether there's a, a self-belief or a narrative that lies at the heart of it. Yeah, I think there must be. And there might be different narratives for different people. Um, what we do know is that perfectionism is quite a big one, but what's behind the perfectionism? Yeah, exactly. Why the need to be perfect? Why the need to achieve so much, so much of the time? And what do you think? What do you think could be that real underlying message that people are probably giving themselves? I think that people are quite afraid a lot of the time of not being enough hmm. and that I've got to keep on achieving, I've got to keep on pushing and working to feel adequate, to feel worthy, to feel valuable. Mm. And the kind of unfortunate thing about that is that when I'm trying to achieve from that position of feeling like I'm not enough, it's even more exhausting mm. because I'm driven, I'm anxious, I'm afraid of failing and letting people down because then I'm confronted by what I fear most, which is that I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not mm. adequate. So... It's kind of sad, isn't it's it? Re 
And, sounds... I, and I only say it's sad, I feel like it's sad because I know it's so true of our yeah. society. Yeah, it feels quite bleak. But the flip side of that, of course, is that if I can, if I can turn that on its head, if I can come from a position of I am enough, that actually can be quite energizing. I can be doing the same stuff, but if I'm coming at it from a position of being full and being adequate, I'm worthy, I'm lovable, if I can come from that position, then I've actually got quite a whole lot of energy to give rather than pursuing validation that I feel like I need. And the first option feels like trying to make up for scarcity. Yes. Whereas the second option is like, Giving, abundance. giving out of abundance, mm. yes, giving out of fullness. Mm. I'll often say to some, some of my clients, I said, if you, could be, if you could be sure that it doesn't matter what you do, that you'll be loved, what would you do? Mm. And people will often go, oh, well, and sometimes they'll say, I'll do something completely different to what I'm doing. I would actually paint or draw or play with my children more or I would mm. I would go sit under a tree <laughs> yeah. something yeah. but but we do so much of what we do because we feel driven to do it not because it is actually in line with our own personal values or what's meaningful or vital mm. for us so how do we flip that around how do we make the journey between deep down, not quite feeling enough to feeling enough. Mm. That can be quite a big journey. That can be quite a process of uncovering where that feeling of inadequacy comes from. Because that stuff gets so deeply woven into mm. our being mm. that it can feel like quite a challenging process of unraveling. So Much easier to stay busy. It is much easier to stay busy a lot of the time because the alternative can feel quite scary, but it's actually quite worthwhile in the long run because it can be so liberating and so freeing. And it gives you the chance to be intentional about what you do with this time you've been given, right? Absolutely. You're not just yeah. responding out of automatic fears yeah. and trying to f fill a cup up that has a hole in the bottom. You, know? right. you actually get to go, oh, actually, I, I like me. Yeah. And um, I like your use of the word intentional, because I think that often we feel very powerless and out of control and like we have no other option but to keep on, mm -hmm. keep on pushing, keep on working, keep on producing. And that idea of intentionality, of choice, of agency, and the choices that I'm making can come from a position of me knowing what's important to me, knowing my values and knowing what's meaningful for me. And that changes the game. If I'm pursuing things because they are meaningful and important to me, it doesn't have the same level of depletion. Mm. Often, if I'm pursuing something that is important and meaningful to me, it's energizing mm. and it's rewarding. When you're in that position and you're forced to face how you feel, at the same time, you also have to recognize what are the stories that you're telling yourself. And a lot of the time is, I have to prove I'm okay. I have to create this facade that I'm actually okay, when in actual fact I wasn't. So you're forced to really face the stories that you tell yourself. Mm. Yeah. So you were kind of believing a narrative about being inadequate in some way. Yes, I think I grew up with having to show that emotionally you are okay. You're on top of it. I've got this covered. Yeah, I've got this covered. I know what I'm doing. I don't need your help. I don't need to feel vulnerable and exposed. I've got it together. And it was a very strong narrative that I grew up with. Um, so my parents divorced when I was three. So when you move from house to house, when you're three or four years old, and the households are quite different, I guess my way of coping was, if I remain consistent and neutral in both situations, then I'll be shown to be okay. Mm. And that's the pattern I've grown up with mm. well into my adulthood. And I've recognized now that actually it's okay if people don't see me, that I'm okay. No one is all okay all the time. This idea of expectations that we hold on to that 
you have to be all, do all, all the time, dream big, do big, and I just think that's unrealistic. It just requires so much of us that I don't think we recognize that maybe we have limited capacity. And it's not a lesson I particularly like <laughs> learning, but I am limited in my capacity. If someone came to you, a client came to you, and they were absolutely burnt out, they weren't on the road to burnout, they were burnt mm. out, how do they get better? Wow. Um, my first thoughts would be they need to learn how to rest. My sense is that when people are at that point, they, they don't even know how to rest anymore. Mm. They are avoiding, they are distracting, they are numbing. So learn how to rest, that's interesting. It's not just a matter of going home and doing nothing or booking a trip to Samoa and lying on a beach. Some people, I mean, that's often what people would do, but it, it's like a, a desert that's so dry, you can pour water all over it, but, it, but it's so dry that the water just runs off. And there's a sort of need to learn how to slow down and lay down the tools and really let go and relax. From my point of view, to start with, that might be just that hour a week on your therapist's couch that you start to stop. And ideally, people can recognize that they need, some, need to do something different. And sometimes that burnout, it can be the wake-up call that somebody needs. Luckily for Keith, he didn't have to endure another total burnout in order to get that wake-up call. But he did need a pretty massive intervention, which, oddly enough, he got in the form of a global pandemic. Lockdown was a saviour, and it was a, an opportunity for me to evaluate life and really evaluate where I was heading. Hmm. That was actually the most amazing experience for me. It was a positively fantastic experience, <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> if I take the financial implications <laughs> to my business out of it, because there were financial implications, obviously, the ability to turn my alarm clock off, mm. wake up when my body decided to wake up, get out of bed, make a cuppa, go back to bed, turn on Netflix, and watch something on Netflix for an hour. Get up, have some breakfast, do a little bit of work because I could still work from home. Go for a walk, watch some more Netflix. <laughs> and I just want to be doing this. <laughs> this so, is, so wait on, you got some rest, you got some relaxation. I actually started to become human again. <laughs> and you loved it? Absolutely loved it. And and what does that tell you? Like, I mean, it says, I'm a fool. I mean, that was a real eye-opener. And people I was talking to on a daily basis over phone and stuff like that, they were noticing differences in me. They were starting to say, this is the Keith we like coming back. This is the real person. Wow. And then by the end of lockdown, I was interacting with people again. I was interacting with my family, my brother, my mother, my friends and that sort of stuff and I was actually starting to enjoy things. So what was that like? What was that like becoming the old Keith again and enjoying your friends and your family? What was that like? It's a revelation and, and I think this time what it did for me was identify I guess the, the disease if you want to call it that, the issue of burning yourself out and solely focusing on the work side is something that I don't want to do. And for once in my life, I'm actually turning around and saying, I don't want to be that person. He may well have uttered those words many times before, but there was something about the insights Keith got during lockdown that made it different this time. I made a, a, a conscious decision to sell the shares in my business. I'm no longer a director. So part of the agreement was that I would stay on for a minimum of a year and there will be a job there for me after that time if I want to, but I want to cut my hours back after that. I want to cut back to two or three days a week. The fact that I'm here talking to you about this, again, it's a recognition of me accepting that I have a problem 
and that I've got to get help. If I don't do something, it's going to kill me. Olivia's path to recovery from burnout has been a really long and slow one that's taken a whole lot of self-awareness and determination. It was really overwhelming because my biggest fear was, man, this is going to be forever. So I had to break down into as tiny chunks as I possibly could to go, if I can do this, then at least I'm moving forward. And I started to change my idea of success every single day. So if success meant I literally got out of bed and sat in the lounge or I went outside, then I'd succeeded for the day. If success meant I'd ate three meals, then that was sufficient for me. Eventually success moved to getting out of the house and going for a walk on the beach. Success meant talking to a friend on the phone or texting them back or engaging in a conversation. It took me a good 18 months to get physically back to normal. Well, a point where I could socially interact with people and actually eat properly. Mm. So every event of going out, whether it be for tea or a coffee, meeting up with a friend, texting or even calling a friend, my body would just go crazy and I get overwhelmingly nauseous, huge anxiety. I had to retrain my body to go, you're not in danger anymore. This is safe. But that took years to do. And then I started, once I had enough energy, I started to focus on the emotional side. Um, And I had to do a lot of work on that. So I went to a course in Wellington called The Lightning Process that taught me that if my brain has put me in this position or the stories that I've been told have formed these paths, if I can create that, then I can also create the opposite. I can actually change how my body is reacting to what I'm telling myself. And that helped me again step out and be socially more interactive with people. So I took it in very small incremental steps and some stuff now comes naturally. I don't have to think about it. Sometimes when I'm in low energy, I have to think about it. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that now it's just it's just part of my day. Mm, yeah. Great. So, what are what are things like now? Like, how do things feel for you now? Sometimes I'm like, I just wish I would feel numb again because it's just too hard with emotion sometimes. And then I have to go. Yep, you can feel numb to the uncomfortable emotions, but then you're also numbing yourself to all the amazing joy and happiness and feeling elated and light because you can't selectively turn off your feelings, unfortunately. Mm. And, I, and I have felt more capacity for joy and happiness and feeling light and confident than I have for a very long time. Wow. At the same time as feeling more grief and sadness and disappointment. So I feel all of them a lot deeper but I feel like I have more capacity and I'm not as afraid of feeling those hard feelings anymore and it's been quite a relief wow yeah um I'm, I'm curious to know what advice you would give for recognizing the early warning signs of burnout know yourself well enough to know okay actually My stomach's been acting up more than what it usually does. Mm. So what is going on? Recognizing what things feel like when you say yes to something, when you say no to something. Being really in tune with how you are physically responding to situations. Because I think a lot of the time we try to intellectualize if I just push through, if I just tell myself the right thing. But actually realizing you are not just a head. You're not just a brain your emotions are embedded in your fabric of your being, your body. They sit in your body. And so if you are able to recognize the reactions in your body, you'll start to feel what energizes you, what drains you, what things are working, what are not working for you, how much of what you're doing, who you're hanging around with, the work that you're doing is feeding you and how much of it is taken away from you. And... If you can attune yourself with that, it's something that would definitely prevent you from getting to the point of burnout. If someone's listening to this and 
they've recognised some of the signs. Mm. And they are thinking, I think I'm pushing myself too far and I'm on the way to burnout. What would you want to say to them? Listen to what your body's telling you. Listen to what your intuition is telling you. Look at what's going on internally for you. What's driving you? Why is that driving you? Are you living according to your values? Why or why not? And what can be done differently? Is this how you want to live your life? Is this actually what's really important to you? What can you let go of? Do you really have to do that thing that you think you really have to do? What would be the consequence if you didn't do that thing? And can you live with that? I'd probably be saying the same thing that people have said to me. No one ever says on their deathbed, gee, I wish I'd worked more. But listen <laughs> to what you're being told. I didn't. And I've paid the price for it. I've paid a huge price for me choosing work over everything else. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. All you've got to do is get that small little light, just that glimpse of something that allows you to turn around, that allows you to see that there is another option, there is another choice. And just talk to somebody, talk to a friend, talk to a counsellor, talk to anyone, just don't hold it in, go and talk to someone. It is the answer. I would just say it's the start to the answer. Recognising your needs is equally valid, if not more valid, than the needs of someone else. Because if you don't have the energy to sustain yourself, there is no way you can sustain your relationships around you. So I guess I'd say if you want to continue to give out, great but you need to make sure that you've got the energy to do that. And if you don't, you need to stop giving out and wait till you've got the energy to carry on doing it. So it's not about stopping what you're doing forever. It's just recognizing that you have to have a full tank or at least enough in your tank to be able to give out. Mm. Yeah, but if that's the one lesson I've had to learn is what is it that I need and being okay with that. I'd like to say a big thank you to Olivia, Keith and Nettie for sharing their time and their stories. You can go to our website areyoumental.com for a list of resources and helplines. If you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand and you would like to talk to someone, you can call 1737 anytime to speak to a trained counsellor. This episode was funded by a very generous foundation who don't want to be named, but thank you guys, we're really grateful. It was produced by me, with editing by Emma Jamieson. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling inspired to go smell a bird or two. I look forward to bringing you the next episode, and until then, stay safe and healthy, everyone, and have a mental week.